Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can come together, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for you. Thank you for life given through you. Lord, we do lift up Israel. We lift up the people of that country, Lord God, your people, Lord. We know that you keep them. We know you are going to keep all your promises, Lord. You have and you always will. And Lord, we just pray for that nation right now, Heavenly Father. And Lord, we pray specifically also for the believers in that country, Lord God, that the Holy Spirit just fill them to endure this, to be a light, to be a witness, to share and point people to Christ, that more would come to know you through this, Lord God, on both sides of this, Lord. Please, Jesus. Lord, we just pray for you to be who you always are, mighty God on the throne, reigning forever and ever. And Lord, thank you that we have your word. We know how all is going to play and we know you have the victory. And we thank you for that. Lord God, be with us now as we prepare to go into your word and continue the study through John, Lord. I pray that you help us to put aside the distractions, Lord. Let us not be lost on things that need to be done, things that happened, anything, Lord, but just be focused on you. Just be focused on giving you this time to be in your word and to hear from you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. So last week we finished John 3, and our charge was as follows, because when that we saw John the Baptist, and we saw him coming and the disciples trying to get him to get lost in that competition and comparison, and we see that he kept moving forward to that humility, he kept going forward to focusing on who Jesus is and Jesus' authority and power. Our charge one that we have to think about is where are you, given Jesus' authority, where are you with the one in whose hand is all authority? Where are you with Jesus? And you might be visiting here again and you were there last week and you know what? Jesus still isn't Savior and Lord and King. Are you going to continue rejecting and abiding in wrath? Because we saw that's what happens last week. You abide in wrath. Now for the believer here, are you abiding in him? Are you trusting in him? How is your trust with Jesus when you don't know the why or how of the circumstance at hand? Are you communing with the Holy Spirit? Are you learning from the word of God? And is the word of God enough? The word of God alone. Nothing added. No hyper-emotions added to it. No going down rabbit holes on theology and boxes of things. But just his word, his spirit, his way. So that's what we were to think about last week. And today we go on in John 4 with a message I've entitled, At the Well. And we're going to be doing the first part of this message. And it's going to be a two-part, maybe three-part message. But we're going to start today with At the Well, part one. Now, when we looked at John 3, we talked about the message of the last week was unto him. We talked about the different things that have been given unto him. And one of those things that is given to Jesus who is born of heaven is a heart for the despised. And today, we're going to see that heart in action. Today, we're going to look at the woman of the well. And this is a story that many know, and we can look at how the story has been used throughout time to convey different things. A woman witnessing to the men afterwards, after this account, she tells of Jesus to the men, and some take that to point to the authority of women in the church. Others take it to point to the fact that God has a call, a purpose on everyone's life. After the Reformation, this story became a highlighted focus one, the story on sexual immorality and God's redemption for that. Feminist movement comes about. Guess what? This is a story that some would take to say, look it, she's talking about Jesus and she's telling it to men, which means women have authority over men and women rule, women rule. We see it used in so many different ways. Personally, a few months ago, I was at a coffee shop doing some prep, and a lady was sitting at a table next door and struck conversation and just asked, what do you, what do, you do? And it was actually one of the first times I was saying, well, I'm a pastor. And the look I got made it real clear that it was like, well, what kind are you? What kind of pastor are you? And she went on to tell me about the level of hurt that women have at the hands of men. She went on to tell me how Christianity is misogynistic and evil and racist. And I shared how Jesus is an equalizer. Jesus is the equalizer. Jesus wants everyone to come to him. And we went back and forth on different things about women, about LGBTQ folks, everything. And going back and forth in this, there was a frustration coming from her, and it was simply 
because I wasn't, and I only say thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me that self-control, wasn't taking the bait about getting frustrated because I just focused on who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit brought scripture to memory. I was quoting things that I was just like, whoa, this is really cool. I don't remember (laughs) even reading that. Let's go. But then the woman at the well came up. And when the woman at the well came up, it was again, what's your take on this? And at that point, I just said, you know, that for me, I think is a prime example of an empty soul that Jesus goes to make sure he seeks out for salvation. And we didn't get lost again in the debate. And it was like, well, don't you see the putting down of women? And I just said, I just see a soul needing Jesus. All souls matter to Jesus. That's what I see. That's what the focus is. Invited her to church. I pray one day she'll come. Why do I share that? Because the gospel of John, as we go through this, there's so many stories that we know so well. And there's stories that have preconceived notions that we know. And I'm encouraging us, even us veterans of scripture, when we come to a passage we know so well, be open to glean new wisdom from it. Don't just come with your preconceived notions of it. Be open to glean new wisdom because when you come to the word of God with preconceived notions, you've boxed out the Holy Spirit. When you come to the word of God with my agenda from everything I've read about this so I can justify what I want, you've boxed out the Holy Spirit. So I'm asking you to please, as we open this passage, be open to what the word of God says. At the well, the woman at the well. Today, we're going to see Jesus give us an example when we look at this passage, of when to lean into conflict and confrontation and when to know it's not time as he leaves Judea to avoid confrontation with the Pharisees. We are going to see that sometimes there's a route that seems easiest and we can take that route, but in taking it, we need to remember that there's a purpose to the route God has us take. There could be times where everything's easy peasy, But just because it's easy peasy, do you then not look to see, Lord, who do you need me to share with? Who do you need me to evangelize with? The juxtaposition of chapter 3, Nicodemus, and chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, is going to be an interesting one that we'll delve into. In this passage, we're going to see Jesus' heart for the despised. Jesus' heart for the rejected by the culture of the time, of the world, and by the culture of the religious. We're going to see the heart of a woman Stuck in all she knows, stuck in what she knows as life, how she knows to live, and just doing the way that she knows. And we're going to see what happens when she meets the way. And we're reminded of what happens for us when we meet the way. As we go through these passages, some things I hope and encourage you to think about, what do you deem essential? Because water, it's essential. Yet Jesus here is going to remind that there is something more important than water, that spiritual life. We're at the well. What well do you go to for sustenance? Do you go to the word? Is it hobbies? Is it people? Is it social media? Is it trips? Is it culture's big self-care? Is it food? Is it drink? What do you go to? Another question to think about, who do you despise or dislike? Truly. What personality, what way of looking, what way of like, of life do you dislike or do you despise? Be honest, people. People, not people. Be honest. <laughs> is it coworkers? Is it those gays? Is it Antifa? Is it the clerk at a store? Is it a CNN broadcaster? Is it the ladies of The View? Who is it? Okay? Because in that, I want us to be real. We pretend To say, I love everyone, and I will say, this is a really loving church, but I'm asking you to get real and be honest this morning with yourself and truly allow the Lord to search your heart. Who do you dislike or who do you despise? Because that's in the way of doing the work the Father has called us to do of sharing the gospel. Do you ever go out of your way, as Jesus did for the woman at the well, to reach someone for God's truth? Lastly, will you lean into, are you willing to lean into discomfort and go against the norms of Christian culture to fulfill the call of God in 2023 and beyond? Are you willing to? So stand with me. Let's read John 4, 1 through 10. Therefore, 
When the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for your word, Lord God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill me with your power and that the words that come out of my mouth be what are exactly needed for your people here today, Lord. Father God, help us to look at this encounter, to glean what you would have us glean, Lord, what it is to have a heart for the despised. Be with us now and always in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1, we start with, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. That therefore, remember, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, go back and remind yourself, what is this going to? What is this talking about? It's talking about that whole debate and account that we saw on baptism with the religious leaders and his disciples. Now, in this moment, Jesus is gaining prominence. Jesus is gaining popularity. And guess what? He could have stayed and dealt with the confrontation. But it could have ended up many ways. It could have ended up with them stoning him. And it was not that time. It wasn't time. We see throughout the Gospels, Jesus always saying, my hour has not yet come. The time has not yet come. He's consistent through that, waiting to do the will of the Father when God makes it so clear. What about you? Is your life about the will of God or is your life about the will of self? Now, verse 2 Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. We hit this when we looked in chapter 3, when the disciples, uh, John's disciples were talking about baptism and Jesus doing this. We reminded Jesus isn't the exact one doing it. He's delegated it to the disciples. And in that delegation, there's an important reminder for us, even for anybody who's in leadership, delegate. It was a reminder for me as praying through as your new pastor and going through, Lord, what do you want for this body? delegating and praying for the people to come alongside to delegate, to empower. Now, for these disciples, this is almost, I look at it as a training ground for them because in Acts 2, 41, on the day of Pentecost, Christian baptism comes into place. The baptism we have here is the repentance baptism, but in Acts, it shifts. It's the baptism of the believer because they have believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whenever baptism comes up, have to give the friendly reminders the infant, the little baby, doesn't get baptized. They can't make the choice themselves. A friendly reminder with this, when we see Jesus having the disciples do it, but it's Jesus, you want to get baptized by Jesus, it's not about who's doing the baptizing, it's about the heart of the person being baptized. It's about the work that has already been done. It's not about the man doing it. Just friendly reminders. Now, verse 3. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he leaves Judea to go to Galilee. He needed to go through Samaria. Now, did he truly need to? Some translations say he had to go through Samaria. And in this case, as we look through it, we're going to see, yes, he did. Because the father must have put on him to know there's a woman needing to meet you right now. And this account's going to be recorded in the word of God. And it's not about a physical need. It's about the spiritual need. And it reminds us of Jesus' determination to reach all. Because when we look at this woman, it reminds us so much. Now, why does the travel route matter? Map, please. Take a look at this map. So when we look at this, the orangey color on the bottom, okay, that's where he would be coming from, Judea, and going up to Galilee. Now, if you look at that red line, if you take that route, it's a straight shot. Boom, you go. That's an easy way to get there. Now, what is interesting is many Jews at the time, most would avoid going through Samaria. 
because there's a deep distrust and a dislike between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans had inhabited the area that was given to Ephraim and Manasseh. They're there. We're going to talk about how they get there. But what folks would do is they would leave, and you see that blue route. They would cross over the Jordan River, go up through Perea, and then they would cross back so they could be able to know, I didn't step foot in Samaria. I'm not unclean. I'm okay. That's the degree. That's the extreme that they would go to. Now, this is a short little history lesson that helps us understand the conflict. Because there's a conflict between these people. There's conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. And as we look at that, it also will remind us of why we study the Old Testament. Because guess what? That gives us the history of the time. It helps us understand biblical truths. It helps us see the timeless truths of his word. And it helps remind us the timeless truth of human nature and conflict over differences, race, religion, beliefs. We're seeing it happen right now in Israel. We see those things come back. Now, back in the time of King David, all of Israel covered the region of Judea. So, and it was called Judah at the time, Judah the largest tribe, but from Samaria to Galilee, that was everything. We get to the reign of King Solomon, it was all Israel. Then we get to his son, Rehoboam, and he decides to split it into two parts. Not the best choice. The southern part becomes Judah, the capital being Jerusalem. The northern part becomes Israel. Capital being that region of Samaria. Now we go on to 722 BC or so, and the Assyrians come in, they conquer the northern kingdom of Israel, and they exile most of the Jews. They remove them from the land. 2 Kings 17 gives you a great dive on that. 2 Kings 17. What they do at that point, they take people from different homelands and repopulate the region with foreign people. What was the goal? Why are they doing that? The goal was to take away nationalism and in taking the people, dividing them, moving them around, guess what? There's less of a threat of rebellion. Sound familiar? Divide a country, get people divided and divisive. The Jews, still in the region at that time, then intermarry with Gentiles. Thus, we get Samaritans. Now, those in the South, they would actually call these people, they'd they'd call them half-breeds because of that mixing. And when we see that and when we see the way that they would speak of them, the way they felt about them, again, it reminds us of human nature's dislike for people that don't fit what they want. And when we look at this passage, we're reminded there's only one unifier, Jesus. Now, the Samaritans themselves, they claimed a historical connection to the people of Israel, but they had their faith mixed with other things. So the Samaritans, they would take some of the aspects of what the Jews followed. They focused on the Pentateuch. They would take those five books, and then they would mix in their superstitions. They would not look at the prophets. They would not look at the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Psalms, because when they saw that, it emphasized Judea and David's line and centered on Jerusalem way too much. So they weren't going to go there. So again, they took what they wanted from the scripture, and then they mixed in their rituals and superstition. Timeless truth reminds me of the emergent, the progressive, the woke church, what we see going on today. Let me take some of the scripture and then mix it in with what I want. The Samaritans took another step because we saw already when we've studied at the Passover, when they go into Jerusalem, they would make this annual trip for the sacrifice. They would not take part in that. They built their own temple of worship on Mount Gerizim. And I think you can see, can you see it on that one? It's covered up on the red line, but it's right there. So they built their own temple in Mount Gerizim, towering above the ancient city of Shechem. And this ancient city of Shechem is going to be interesting because that's where we're going to be seeing our story take place today. And following the Babylonian exile then, Ezra would then lead the rebuilding of the actual temple. And guess what? The Samaritans at that time, they offer to help. Their offer to help is rejected. Then we go on in history when Alexander the Great and later the Greek generals controlled Palestine around 330 BC. Guess where they made their base? Samaria. Why did they choose Samaria? They knew they had sympathetic and anti-Jewish allies. Then we keep going forward around 128 BC The Jews finally have the chance to attack Samaria. They destroyed Shechem and they burned the Samaritan temple built 
on Mount Gerizim. So that's the backstory of the region that we're talking about. And if you want to do a deeper dive on your own, 2 Kings is a great one, chapter 17 particularly, the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, do a dive on those if you want to go further. Why does all that matter? Jesus is going in the heat of a region the Jews avoid. Jesus is going to a region with a history of ethnic strife. And amidst that ethnic, cultural, racial strife, there's only one bridge, that one who can close that gap. And there's still only one today who can close that gap. Jesus. So when we see in verse 4, but he needed to go through Samaria, he needed to because he needed to show the gospel. That's his purpose. That's what he's here to do. And it comes right after John 3, which tells us the purpose, everlasting life for those who believe and receive and see. And when we think about our culture today in 2023, how are we told to see the world? Through race, gender, sexuality, and political parties. Those are the four that I believe we're told to see everything through. There's other things, of course, but those are the main ones. And people then will say, listen, Jesus would love these people. Jesus would go to them. He'd be with them. He'd be hanging with them. He'd be caring for them. And you are correct. But you're missing one point. Jesus would love them too much to have them stay as they are. Because Jesus comes so that you can know, you can see, look at your state, look at your depravity. You need the Messiah. I am he. Because Christ wants us to be one in him. How do we know that? Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Right in the beginning, because we, we forget sometimes, always go back to creation. Because it reminds us of the original design from God, from Jesus, from Holy Spirit, triune God, all together. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So making man in our image, in our image, God desires us to, the design was to be like him, to be in the image that he wants for him. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. The original design, one race, human, two genders, male, female, that's the design. That's what he intended. So then when we look at our culture today and the different groups that people want to say are outcasts, which are outcasts, which have been pushed out by the church, by other people, we need to remember and realize, yes, Jesus would go to those people and he would reveal himself that they would change for his glory. Now, Jesus goes right where he really shouldn't because of the culture. Religion says, Jews, don't go to Samaria. You go there, you're going to be unclean. But guess what? Jesus isn't about religion. He's about the relationship. The focus is to bring the gospel. What about you? Do you lean in to those that are not like you and share, or do you avoid it? When was the last time you decided, you know what, I'm going to go down to downtown Chapel Hill, and I'm going to see who I can talk to Jesus about? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you showed someone not like you, not like the box of Christian culture says, the love of Christ? When was the last time that you did that? We're Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill. Recall the Calvary Chapel movement. We got to see the Jews' uh, revolution movie a few months ago. And what was that all about? The hippies coming into the church. Who are the hippies of today that we need to open the doors of this church to serve? We aren't here for a cushy, secluded village of ourselves. We're here to do the work of God. That's something I had to wrestle with. It's like, you know, looking through this, yeah, we've, we've got to reach out to that. Are you the person more concerned about the clean carpet and the dirty hippie feet? Or are you the person more concerned with a clean heart through the blood of Christ and the word of God going forth and doing his work? Tensions from differences, timeless truth. They cause wars. 
and him going to Samaria, Jesus shows, again, it's not about the religion, it's about the relationship. It's not about man's thoughts on something because it's about God alone. Now, we can't forget the two encounters we just saw because before this, we saw Nicodemus. Think about Nicodemus. One, he has a name. The woman at the well doesn't have a name. Two, he's a ruler favored by the Jews. She's a woman despised and rejected by the Jews. He knows the law. He runs the law. He rules the law. She's condemned by the law that the Jews have put. He is righteous, self-righteous, by his own standard. She's wicked by the same standards. He seeks out Jesus. Jesus seeks her out. There's a juxtaposition that's interesting there. Jesus seeks her out. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, as we're going to read, but Jesus did. Why? Jesus deals with every man. That's why. Jesus breaks down the walls of division that man strives to build. The same way the Assyrians wanted to avoid nationalism and threats of rebellion, our culture today does the same thing. Our culture of our world today is seeking to divide. Let's pick a topic and divide everybody on it. But Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, Jesus breaks down the walls of division. There are no ethnic, no racial, no sexual, no any barriers for those that are united in Christ. Remember what we see from Paul in Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And when we see that, we have to think, who is Christ calling you? Who is Christ calling the body of the believers to seek out that they would know King Jesus? Now, as we go on back in our text in John, verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Sychar, remember, this is an old ancient town of Shechem, the one that we just mentioned that the Samaritans built on Mount Gerizim, their their temple that was burned and destroyed by the Jews. This place, Shechem, has important history that we're going to walk through right now. We're going to take a little stroll through the Old Testament. So turn to Genesis chapter 12, if you will. And again, this is just setting the context for where this moment at the well takes place. So if we look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 6. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. So this is the spot Abram first came when he arrived in Canaan from Babylonia. And we go on to the next verse, 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is the spot God first appeared to Abram in Canaan and makes anew the promise of living in the land that he gives to him and his descendants. And he moved from there to, mount, to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel. On the west and I of the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. It's a spot he calls on the name of the Lord. This is the same spot where Jesus comes to meet the woman at the well. Now, if we move a little bit, flip a little bit to Genesis chapter 33, and we're going to see a little bit more about this spot. When we look at Genesis 33, verse 18, when you get there, then... Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from the Padran Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. So this is where he comes. He cares for his wives after coming out of Sir John with Laban and builds an altar. And we're going to see this. We keep going. And he brought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel, God, God of Israel. So this is where he builds an altar to the Lord. This is where the well is built. And we're going to see the reference to Jacob's well. If you go on in Genesis 34, this is also the place where Dinah, Jacob's daughter, is raped and the sons of Jacob massacre the men of the city. This is also the ground where Joseph's bones 
would be buried out of Egypt 400 years later. We're going to go to Joshua, chapter 24. Same spot. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. This is all taking place where we are. This is also the same place where we have that that covenant with Israel that Joshua makes that commitment again to the God of Israel. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So realize this place where we have this encounter with the woman at the well is a place rich with history. God's story already tied to the covenant of God. This is the spot Jesus now provides the knowledge to this woman of the new covenant he gives that he offers that's everlasting and eternal. Jacob's well is the old water being juxtaposed with Jesus's new well, the everlasting and eternal water. Remember when we started the book of John, I said we're going to see those contrasts that we had. We had the old wine and the new wine. We had the physical temple and we have his body as the temple. We had the natural birth and the spiritual birth. Now we have the old water and the new water. Going back in our text, verse 6 in John chapter 4. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, there's something to know when we see time come up like that in the scripture. There's two trains of thought with the time. For the Hebrews, that sixth hour would be 12 o'clock p.m. For the Romans, it would either be 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. This is where context matters. We think about the fact that he's traveled throughout this day. We think about the fact that the woman, as we see later, is coming alone. Thus, Bible scholars point to being 12 p.m., the middle of the day. Now, knowing it's the middle of the day, it's high sun and heat. Because the location where this is, if you look, uh, it's in the central plain. It's modern Naples. It's surrounded by two mountains. No coastal breezes. It's hot. Jesus has been walking, he's thirsty, he's hungry, and we know that he's hungry because the disciples, we'll see in verse 8, have gone to get food. And thus we see here in this verse, Jesus, therefore, being wearied. Our king, Jesus, weary. The gospel of John points to the deity of Christ. And there are moments like this one that we cannot overlook where we get a clear picture of our Savior's humanity. He's 100% God, 100% man. And in this moment, Jesus is weary. Jesus is tired. Jesus is thirsty. Jesus sits to get some rest. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Because we can look at this verse, and on Wednesday night prayer, it's one that I've had us look at a few times But this is a concrete moment that I want you to log in your mind of the Savior's sympathy with us. In Hebrews 4, verse 14, we read, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Whatever you're going through right now, if you're feeling tired or weary from it, if you're feeling tired from the trial, if you're feeling weary from the burdens of parenting, motherhood, fatherhood, work, whatever it is, And you just feel, I'm tired this morning. I'm here, but I'm tired. Guess who can relate? Jesus. Jesus can sympathize with that. So don't get lost in the feeling. Don't get lost trying to figure out, how can I make a long rant about this on social media so I get likes and hearts so I know people care? Just go talk to Jesus. Go boldly to the throne of grace, to King Jesus, who can sympathize with with what you are feeling. There is nothing we cannot take to King Jesus, and there is no one who cannot go 
to his throne in prayer if they are a child of God. And if you do not know him, you boldly go that you believe, receive, and become a child of God. Saints, cherish the moments in the gospel where we see his humanity. Because that's our savior. He sympathizes with us. He gets it. Verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So we see again, the disciples went off to buy food. That's a verse I've sometimes just read. And I'm like, good, they went to go buy food. But in the prep this week, I was realizing, you know, these dudes are walking with Jesus 24-7. And they still have to go buy food. (coughs) Newsflash, just because you're with Jesus doesn't mean life's going to be perfect and simple. You still have to do things. You still have to work. You still have to make decisions. You still have to put on your big boy and big girl pants and do life. You still have to do that. Because he's not a genie, but he's our king. And it's about the eternal perspective of who he is. After meeting him, guess what? We're still going to see trials. James promises that. We just, I just taught that to the men of Caswell this Friday. He promises us we're going to see trials. Now, she comes at noon. This is the hottest time of the day. She's coming alone. We need to remember, culturally, women would go to the well. They would be the ones getting water. But culturally, they would go early in the day. They don't want to get stuck in the sun heat. They would go in groups. But she's going alone. Her status and the timing show she either has an emergent need or more likely, as we see from the context, the people of her community, the women, rejected her. So she had to go alone. She's rejected. She's alone. And Savior King Jesus is there to meet her. Can anyone relate to that? Don't let the world, don't let the enemy have you thinking you don't matter to Jesus. All souls matter to Jesus. Every single one matters to King Jesus. Now, we're going to see, he gives the words, give me a drink, and she's going to be shocked by this. Now, she would know, she says, we'll see, she calls him a Jew. She knows because of how Jesus is dressed that he's Jewish. But she's shocked because she knows culture. Guess what? A rabbi would not speak to a woman in public even if it was his wife. Men, don't use this as a means to say, I'm a rabbi, honey. I can't talk to you today. Do not go there. But that's, that, that's a reality of that time. And then Jesus simply says, give me a drink. And that's something so beautiful. I want us to remember when we come to Jesus, our Savior, his words are so simple when he's seeking us unto him. It's not like when he sees the, the disciples and he calls them, follow me. Come and see. Give me a drink. It's not these long, elaborate things. But it's an odd request. Because if a Jew would drink from her cup, that Jew is now unclean. But guess what? Jesus is no respecter of persons. Remember what we saw in Galatians 3, 28. Realize the one who would give eternal rest is now weary. The Messiah of Israel has come to a Samaritan woman for a drink. The source of eternal life and living water comes to the well to get a drink. He's not about status and ego. He's a humble king about the Lord's work. So saints, question to you, why do we place bias and judgment on who we will serve and share the gospel with? Did Jesus? Check yourself. Because there's too much going on where the church doesn't want to go out there and do the work of sharing because we either think, what's the point? Or they're too far on this bit or they don't want to hear it. They don't want to receive it. You know people's hearts. You're not God. You don't know people's hearts. We must go forth with the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Why are you putting bias and judgment on who you will serve and share the gospel with? Jesus didn't. We go on in verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now we see that little side note that, the author of this gospel that God uses, John, gives the context. Because remember, the gospel of John, it's for all to believe. So for those Gentiles, he's like, listen, just in case you don't get this or remember, Jews are not supposed to have dealings with Samaritans. It's not supposed to happen. Now, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, 
Jesus told them, you must be born again. What was his first response? How? How is that to be? Jesus comes now and says, give me a drink. How? Again, that question, how? It's a question we all ask to Jesus. We all ask Jesus, how? But the question is, do you believe? So for you saved here today, do you place limits on Jesus and say, how still, but place limits? Or do you truly believe? And when you have your how, take it to him and trust. Because how is a question that for us who are believers and following the Lord, we've got to be careful that our how doesn't become placing limits on God. We cannot place limits on God. He is alpha and omega, beginning and end. If you're going to tell me God can't do dot, 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 that's a scary phrase to come out of the mouth of a human. Because you're not God. You are not God. Now, the Jews had no dealing with Samaritans. We get that context from the Gentile, for the Gentiles that he gives. But it's for us, too, to be able to see there is strife and tension here. These are rejected people, and Jesus still goes to them. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So she focuses on the literal water, just like Nicodemus focused on the literal birth. But Jesus is providing spiritual insights and truths. How are you doing with the spiritual truths of the word of God? Are you believing it? Are you receiving it? Or as I like to say, are you logicking it? Are you putting it in your box of logic so that you don't have to get uncomfortable and I'm in control because it's the way I say it is? Or are you believing and letting God be God? Living water means a spring bubbling alive. We're going to do a deeper dive on that next week, and we'll see what that means with salvation and the Holy Spirit. For now, the living water, what we're going to realize today is, guess what? That spring is much more appealing than stagnant still water. Jesus in this moment reminds that he's going to always take the material realm and bring it to the spiritual realm. Always. Water. Guess what? We all need water. We all need water. It's essential for life. And in this example, Jesus says, while this is something that you know is essential and you need to drink, to clean, to do your life, I'm going to tell you what's truly essential for life. Everlasting salvation. And there's another piece in this encounter to realize. Jesus was wearied, but guess what? He was still about God's business. Don't let fatigue or circumstance keep you from doing the work that God's called you to do. Society wants us to always have it be easy and comfortable. No, remember what we saw in Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit's there to give us power to live for God, to fulfill his calling, to get the gospel out, to evangelize, and he's gonna sustain us, and that's why he tells us in Mark 12 that we're called to love him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, because God has to be first. In the weariness, God still requires obedience, and obedience has seasons of ease, and obedience has seasons of trials and hardships that if we remember James 1, he's using to refine us so that we can be closer to who he needs us to be because as we saw in Genesis 1 at creation, he made us to be in his own image. And as we see in 1 John 2 or 3, let me get there. 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure because it's about the eternal perspective. That's what matters most. At the well, we're gonna continue this special encounter next week. There's more to go. We're gonna walk through it. Walking is good. We don't always have to sprint. But as we get ready to um, depart from today, the charge for this week ahead. One, 
Study and read the Old Testament, friends. Get in the Old Testament because it's important and it brings to life so many areas of the New Testament. Some of you I know are, as we're doing Psalms, reading First and Second Samuel, great. Get in the Old Testament. Love it. Two, ask the Lord to search your heart this week to see who you've built dislike or despisement towards. Is it a group of people? Is it an individual? Seek his forgiveness. Seek his guidance on how to show the love of Christ to them, that they may know him, that they may walk with him. There's not supposed to be division in the body of Christ. Well, let's just agree to disagree. No, you can't say that if you haven't had a conversation. Come together. Be open and honest. And with those that we want to just say, eh, I, don't, I don't really, you know, I don't know, I don't want to go over there. They're, they're kind of weird. Then this is the part charge I give you. Who's the Samaritan woman in your life that Jesus needs you to extend an arm and point to the living water of Christ? Who is it? As your pastor, I'm going to be real. I am praying, how do we serve this area? Yes, we've got people from all over, which is great because we can spread out and do it. But the Lord's got us in Chapel Hill. How do we reach out? How do we get people to know Jesus? What are we doing to reject the people that legalism or politically, overly politically drive churches have cast out? Who are the hippies of today? That's the question I'm asking myself. Who are the hippies of today? And what are we doing to counter the woke gospel deceiving so many? We stick to the word, that's first and foremost. But we saw in John 1, Jesus, what did he say? When they said, Rabbi, we just want to spend some time with you. He says, come and see. Who do we need to say? Come and see. And then put the word of God in front of them. And realize something else in this encounter that is interesting. Jesus could have gone a different route, right? And he could have leaned into that confrontation and gotten into the political debate, gotten into the argument. Because guess what? Debates, people enjoy that. You get your, you know, modern day, you get all of your ducks in a row, your websites, your books, your podcasts, everything. You get it in a row and you're like, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to do this. Jesus cared more about the soul that needed salvation because he was thinking about eternity. What about you? Are you more focused on theological debates or are you about the souls needing salvation? Saints, beyond these walls is a world falling apart. What are you doing to share the gospel? Well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't do it. I can say the majority of you in this room, I know through the Lord you can. Trust the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to words the remember, to remembrance the words that you need and go forth and share. I'm not saying you gotta go on a street corner with a big sign that says Jesus saves. If you wanna do that, that's one way. But what I am saying is be open in the encounters day to day of your life to say, come and see, and put the word of God before people. Don't get lost in your words. Let the word of God do it. Because when we looked at the spiritual birth, who were the parents that I said? The word and the spirit. Put the word, trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. We need to be praying for the salvation of souls. We need to be saying, come and see to souls who need to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? Now, interesting to think about going out, getting the gospel out, sharing. We get to have a little hand as a body of believers of reaching different countries. And one which we talked about last week, we get to reach India. And it is an exciting thing because we've got Pastor David, and I'm going to ask you to come up here so we can pray for you, sir. And if elders out of here, Pastor Jeff, get up here. Uh, it's an exciting thing because we have an opportunity to reach that area. Now, you're going to be doing how many teachings again? Oh, about over 20. Over 20. And there's, go, there's three pastor's conferences? Or yeah, three. Three pastor's conferences. What a ripple effect that can have. Because he's going to be pouring out to pour into all of these different men that they can then pour into people. And guess what? I don't know that everyone, it would be their first choice of place to go because it's not like Christians are loved in India. No, and it's getting worse, too. But it's going forth. So we have a hand in this. And then I also encourage you, find the hand where the Lord needs you to do that work in your family, in your own backyard, wherever he calls. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity that you have given this church to serve and minister to the people in India, Lord God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Pastor David, Lord. Thank you for the way that you have been preparing him. Thank you for the messages that you have been pouring into him and how you have helped him to tie it all together, Lord. And Heavenly Father, we lift up this trip to you, Lord. We ask for traveling mercies. Please just protect him. Keep his health, Lord God, on this trip. Please, and Heavenly Father, just asking you to please help for all of the aspects of this to go well, the translations to go well, Lord, the technological needs, every single component to just go smoothly and well, Lord, that your word can go forth boldly, Heavenly Father. I pray that you have all of the men and the women and the people that need to be at each message there, Lord God, please, Heavenly Father. And I pray that you, Holy Spirit, fill Pastor David each and every single time that he can pour forth and preach your word so faithfully as he always has, Heavenly Father. And Lord God, we also just pray and ask that the rest that he gets in between, the rest while traveling, that it would be restorative, Lord, and that you would bring him back safely, Heavenly Father, Lord God. And we're excited and expectedly to hear how the trip goes and how everything went, Heavenly Father. And Lord God, we also lift up Michelle to you, Heavenly Father, and just be with her while he is away, Lord. And just this woman has just been such a faithful bride to her husband, Lord, and just being the wife of a pastor, their sacrifice that she gives, Lord, relentlessly. And we just thank you for that. But minister to her deeply. Give her sweet times of fellowship, Lord God, and pray that they find the right times of day to call, to connect, to see each other, and to um, on FaceTime, whatever it would be, Lord. But just please have your hand over her as well during this time, Lord. We surrender this trip to you, Lord. We give it all to you, Heavenly Father, and we thank you that this little church can play a part of what is going on around the world, Lord. And I just pray that you take the message of today and have us each ponder what you've given, that we can glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Have a wonderful afternoon.